In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I recently saw an interview on Facebook this week, a video, with authors Gaden Metcalf and Charlotte Hayes, the authors of Being Dead is No Excuse, the Southern Guide to, Ho- the Southern Guide to Hosting the Perfect Funeral. If you've never read this book, it is a hilarious depiction of what happens in Southern culture when someone goes goes on to their greater glory. One of the author's observations in the book, simply being dead does not mean you no longer care about social status. After all, who wants an ill-attended funeral? Now, for a really big funeral... Dual membership in the Episcopal Church and Alcoholics Anonymous is the ticket. (laughs) Episcopalians who have belonged to AA attract a standing room only crowd and without increasing the liquor bill for the reception. That's just a snippet from the book. So not unexpectedly... This video interview with the authors had all sorts of memorable sayings. One author starts by saying, I think that a funeral should not have a lot of chit-chat about the person who died. And I appreciate, you know, in the Episcopal Church, I appreciate that they don't always do eulogies because God doesn't need to be told anything at this point. Instead, she says... Wait till the reception. Don't get up there in the pulpit and take off because you're going to get up there and you're going to talk about how honest honest the embezzler was and how great a husband the fanny pincher was. And she later continues, don't go on and on and on. Don't go on about talking about the person in the church service. Go home. Go to your home and really talk about the person any way you like. And then if you're lying, well, you're not in church, so it doesn't really matter. (laughs) The authors both conclude, remember, you can have as many weddings as you like, but you only get one funeral. (laughs) To the authors, identity matters. They bring up age-old questions in this book in some ways like, who are we? What is the essence of our lives? These come up because matters of life and death are serious. And moments make us see things. They, They challenge us. Things to force us to see things differently. So much so that at times we have to test them against what we already believe to be true. Critical moments force us to see things in new ways. But today we are certainly not celebrating a funeral. We're celebrating the Feast of Christ's Transfiguration, where Jesus and the disciples go up a high mountain away from the rest of their community. And they're given the opportunity to see Jesus, who he really is. And notice how our reading has us, it tells us that this happens in the context of prayer. While prayer is taking place, Jesus' face 
and his clothes change. And suddenly he's transfigured. He's changed. He's transformed. And revealing himself and God's glory to them in a new way. Not through just teaching and miracles and parables, but by changing himself physically. Now just as this moment is ending, nervous Peter has to talk. He's got to open his mouth and start going on and on and on. And even Luke, who in his gospel doesn't always offer much commentary, he has to comment that Peter doesn't really know what he's talking about. He's going on and on and on. And suddenly a great cloud, a fog overshadows them and the voice, this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice stops, Jesus is alone. And the disciples kept silent and in those days told no one about the things they had seen. Of course they kept silent. What would they have said anyway? The three companions of Jesus saw the Messiah, the son of the living God, talking to Moses and Elijah on top of a mountain. The event was too out there and surreal. So who would have believed them anyway. And ironically, or maybe not ironically, in in most of the stories about Jesus in the rest of the Gospels after this moment, for a very long time and very many stories, keep revealing, unfortunately, more and more how the disciples simply just don't, don't understand. As much as they think they know Jesus, he often remains completely misunderstood. But that was the disciples in those days. Doesn't have to be us. The joy of the transfiguration is that they were given the ability to see Jesus for who he actually is. With all his light and love and majesty and power. And so after a good chunk of time has passed, probably a couple of decades, the early church and early followers of Jesus start to comprehend this and they start to understand it. Like that excerpt we hear today in our second reading from the second letter of Peter when we read, you will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Did you catch that? Until the day dawns And the morning star rises in your hearts. Jesus is our lamp shining into the dark place. Into the places of life that confront us. Where we feel challenged. In those situations where we think we really can't win. We can't figure a way out on our own. Moments when we think our struggles are simply too great to bear. But instead of this light flooding us or knocking us over or blinding us, instead of this being like a glare of a spotlight or some kind of light, you know, that you you experience at at, at like a medical exam or or an interrogation, that light that overwhelms us. No, with God's light, it's a little different. That light and love from God that Jesus reveals at the transfiguration is now in us and rising up. Rising like the sun does in the morning 
where it spreads light upon all creation and the dawn welcomes all living things to a new day. That blinding, transfigured light that Jesus showed the disciples, that light is in us too. Our Old Testament lesson talks about this. Moses, immersed in prayer, totally uh, covers his face because he's afraid that if he looks on God, he's going to die. But Moses, in his prayer and in his conversation with God, when he leaves this time that he's praying, he goes and sees the other priests and the other tribes of Israel, and his face is glowing white so much they don't get it. They don't see, that they don't understand that the glory of the Lord is also within Moses because as he prays, he connects further and further with God's glory. And so in this second reading we have today, this author of this letter, the second letter of Peter, finally gets it because years have gone by. And this author talks about he's finally in his old age. He gets what Jesus was trying to reveal, that the essence of God's light and love and the brightness of God's creative joy and power and wonder and majesty, this essence of this glory of the Lord also resides in our hearts. And that Jesus recognized this and identified this in his disciples from the very beginning. The light was always there. It was inside each one of them to go out and love the world in a way that was really beyond their own knowledge, their own ability. Beyond their greatest understanding of what was possible. The light was always there inside. And Jesus knew that about all of them. In fact, the divine light he revealed on that mountaintop was just one more way in which Jesus, as the Holy One, as God, made himself as vulnerable about his true self, made himself as transparent, as open, as revelatory as possible to those he was closest to, so that they might be able to fully grasp within their, their core, within their essence. We talked about this word recently in a class from their nafshika, their, their own kind of very essence of being. How close the presence of Almighty God is at times. How much God is close to us at all times and how much God wants to dwell within them and with us too. And so... Through our baptism, through baptism, through Christ dwelling in our hearts, and through us doing things like leaving our lives behind and stepping foot into church here together, stepping in consciously into the kingdom of God together on Sundays, through our times of prayer and through our times of communion, we start seeing the transfigured Jesus revealing himself to us so that we might reveal the true nature of Jesus, this true power of love of the glory of God to one another and to the entire world. Let me kind of rephrase this a little bit. We celebrate Jesus' transfiguration today because it shows us how truly close to us God's light and love are every day. 
Jesus' transfiguration helps us become light bearers. It helps us maneuver those confrontational times when we have to show up and we have to love our enemies. Those confrontational times when we have to struggle to offer love and comfort to someone who really suffers in our midst. Even when we're asking ourselves, what can one person really do to make a difference anyway? And yes, Jesus' transfiguration might even help us when we need to be kind or loving or smile a lot or be polite, even in the times when we're in those situations when we might really just want to get the heck out of there. The Transfiguration celebration was given to us for a reason. This isn't a one-time event. It's an ongoing invitation. The Transfiguration invites you to look at your life in a different way. How do you see the person sitting next to you in church? How do you look upon the guy over at the freeway entrance that's holding a cardboard sign? What about other people? Celebrities or sports figures or politicians or cops or lawyers or teachers or immigrants or people of other religions or street people? What do you see? How do you see? My gut tells me that you see mixed things. Some good, some not so good. But the transfiguration is about change. It's about being a change agent for the kingdom of God. To see that morning star rising in the hearts of every single person. Is that easy? No. Of course not. It takes a whole lot of practice and encouragement from a community. A whole lot of practice. And it takes a whole lot of prayer. And prayer and hard work. Like the prayer and hard work of the disciples when they climbed that mountain, hiking up a high mountain with Jesus, praying all the way, praying to see things as God sees them so that we can see the blinding but oh-so-powerful, majestic, abiding love of God inside every created being that we've ever known and that we'll ever meet. The transfiguration invites us to go with Jesus on a lifelong journey. Invites us. This transfiguration invites us to see the absolute essence, the core of God's best in each one of us and it calls you into a promise into a promise that the more you look for light the more you look for love the more you purposely scout out that morning star in other people you'll be one step closer into dwelling more fully into the kingdom of God and being someone who actually changes the world profoundly and proclaims the kingdom of God that it's here, in front of us, right here, right now. We get one life. Jesus is doing everything he can today 
to offer us a way to live it to the fullest. Remember, you can have as many weddings as you want, but you only get one funeral. So be the person Jesus wants you to be. Seek out the light and love and live into the kingdom of God. Let the transfiguration's light invite you to discover God's divine love in the heart, at the core, in the heart of every living thing. Where will you search first?